Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. The appetizer for today is what is the impact of the clinical environment on teaching and how does questioning strategy figure into that busy clinical environment? We're going to talk with Dr. Russ Farmer. He's in the studio with us today. We worked with Dr. Farmer and others to develop a pocket-sized version of questioning strategies called the CARD. What happens in the clinical environment when you try to teach somebody? The clinical environment is one of controlled chaos through which we hope to achieve good outcomes for our patients. We're usually successful. However, the thing that has developed over the course of the past 20 to 30 years is a emphasis in all forms of medicine, academic and otherwise, on productivity and patient throughput. That's probably something that our listeners have noticed not only in potentially their own practice, but in their own personal experiences with all the healthcare providers they see. What this does is it squeezes out a significant amount of the interaction that used to exist between learner and teacher, between master and apprentice. The clinical learning environment is one that is rife with opportunity, but it's also one that without appropriate thought put behind education could potentially stifle someone's growth in terms of learning to be a good doctor or nurse or dentist or public health official. So the main course for today then, let's dive into the implications of that chaotic, crazy, inefficient environment for teaching that we're just stuck with. There's no way this changes dramatically. We are going to continue to have this kind of environment going forward, and yet we have education responsibilities as well. When you've looked at this, Russ, what kind of questions typically are asked in clinical environment settings? Normally what we have in a clinical environment are things that are what we call lower order questions or lower order thinking skills questions. What that means is the amount of thinking required or the amount of retrieval that is necessary in order to answer those questions is not as significant as we would like to be to stimulate critical thinking about healthcare and the topics at hand. Let's give an example. Lower order thinking skills or a lower order question might be, what is the name of this structure? Say I'm taking Stacy through a lap appendix. I'd point at a structure and be like, Stacy, what's this structure? And I'd give her 1.9 seconds and then she would say, uh, and then I'd interrupt her and say, yeah, you're right. That's the appendiceal artery. Or I'd say, oh, you negative Nancy, that's the appendiceal artery. It depends upon, of course, the mood of the instructor, I suppose. The point is that the vast majority, up to 80 to 90% of questions that are asked really are simple fact-based questions or even worse, guess what I'm thinking questions, which are the notorious uh, worst of the worst offenders. So Russ, one of the things that we're called to do is to help our learners, whether they be residents or students, develop critical thinking skills. So what are the implications for what you just said, where the vast majority of the questions are asking for a fact-based answer? How does that help with developing critical thinking skills in our learners? Fact-based questions really serve as the underpinning to develop critical thinking skills. It's the language by which people learn to speak. 
in terms of critical thinking, once you have the root of that language, then you have to develop on top of that and be able to string it together to make complex thoughts and sentences. If you want to use maybe an apt metaphor, you might say that it's the whole crawl, walk, run, uh, or what have you. And the lower order thinking skills are the fact-based questions are kind of your crawling stage. And then eventually what we do is we want to turn people into marathon artists because clinical medicine is a marathon, not a sprint, Dr. Rablak. As we try to create marathoners out of these intelligent young people, ultimately we want them to start with the basics and work their way up. So Stacy, Russ has talked about lower order and higher mm-hmm. order questions. What's he talking about? He Can talking you orient the, the audience who doesn't think like Russ? What exactly is he driving after? Well, he is actually referring to something called Bloom's taxonomy. Think of it as a, a pyramid. And the lower order skills that he was talking about, or those low cognitive skills, and those are at the bottom of your pyramid. And then as you move up the pyramid, then we move into higher cognitively complex thinking skills. So we've got apply, and then analyze, evaluate, and create. Once our learners have the factual information and they're able to go retrieve that factual information from their long-term memory, bring it into their working memory, then hopefully we can get them to actually analyze and evaluate and utilize higher cognitive skills. The thing is, if most of the questions that we ask our learners are just that low level, those remember and understand, they don't get the opportunity to practice those higher cognitive skills. If we need our learners to be really good at clinical reasoning, which, guys, do we need our learners to be good at clinical reasoning? Yes, we do. That is also a critical thinking skill. And so in order to do that, we need to prompt them. We need to give them the opportunity. I said skill, right? Skill is something you practice. You have to practice to get better at. So we need to give them the opportunity to practice the critical thinking, clinical reasoning skills. You know, we are at a point now where facts are important and testing people on facts are important because you need something from which to think critically. But we have to do more than that. Here is a concern. We have a very chaotic, busy, inefficient environment that we're trying to take care of patients in and do this education. How can we help faculty be able to do this more readily. Tell us about how the process started to develop this thing that we call the card. We kind of came down to one core problem that sat at the bottom of everything, which is that we have such a vast number of faculty, also clinically busy, that no matter if we worked 24-7 in the faculty development office and spent basically nothing but time and financial and other resources to educate them, we still could not get to everybody in a timely fashion to achieve maximum impact. What we attempted to do was to distill a lot of the learnings that we've gleaned from learning sciences, from design thinking, into a way to circumvent the need for a significant extended period of hands-on coaching and development such that our super busy clinicians, the ones that are providing the majority of the bedside teaching opportunities for our learners, can work in what we have affectionately termed a subcortical level, meaning that you don't have to engage your cortex in order to think about the type of questions you ask. All you have to do is pull something out of your pocket, say a few words that are written on what's on your pocket, and all of a sudden you're being a better teacher and helping your students be better critical thinkers and better clinicians as well. So the goal was to drive people up the pyramid 
to get them to ask not just fact-based questions, but questions that really force the issue of critical thinking, where you now as the educator can assess how well does this person critically think. And so when we get to these apply and analyze, evaluate questions, yes, they take more time. But if we don't begin that process and plant those seeds or get them to apply, analyze, and evaluate tonight after rounds and come back tomorrow, we are not doing them a full service for the education role that they need. Because how else will they learn how to critically think and if they're doing it right and how to solve clinical problems? Because most times they don't read the book. There's always somewhere <laughs> in the middle, right? That we have to interpolate what the right answer is going to be for any patient scenario. The act of trying to intentionally engage people at higher order thinking skills can be not only difficult for the learner, but can be difficult for the question asker as well. We're so used to just saying, Stacy, we're doing an appendectomy, what's that artery? And not saying, well, if you cut that artery, what happens to the patient? What are the potential complications? And what are the downstream effects? How much does it cost if you cut that artery erroneously and why? <laughs> like all that sort of stuff like that. The lower level questions are typically easier to answer. It's less strain on your learner and it's less strain to get that immediate feedback if you're the educator in the situation as well. A lot of the feedback we've gotten from these trainings are that it is hard to ask these difficult questions and not be able to get that immediate answer from the learner and be able to move on. It takes more effort to think through this feedback. It's way easier to grade a multiple choice test and yes. to, you know send it through. You don't have to think of anything. It's already built in versus having to read reflections or reading applications that someone has written out. It's the same way outside of a clinical setting. It's more difficult for the instructor, but it's much better for the learner. We created this pocket thing that Dr. Rabelais was talking about. It's called the card, just so everybody understands. It's not C-A-R-D. We're talking about Q-A-R-R-D for questioning aid for rich real-time discussion. This pocket questioning aid provides not only question strategies, but it actually gives you some prompts so that hopefully you can just fill in the content, so to speak. You can open it up, pick a question, pick a cognitive level, and then be able to ask that question of your learner less difficult for you because we know change is hard and learning a new way of doing things is difficult because we all know learning is hard. This aid will help you try out new questioning techniques and tools and see how it works with your learners. So Stacy, you use this whole area of research for your dissertation. Yes. And, and Laura, you were involved in, in that as well. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you studied this among our faculty ah. and what kind of lessons you learned from that. You said it was hard, so we're not surprised by that. Was there anything else as you had faculty go through these workshops? Did you learn anything else about the rollout of delivery or mm. utility of this thing? Almost 100% of the faculty that participated in the research were very grateful for this tool. They really thought it was helpful. All the faculty that actually took it and practiced with it came back with some fantastic feedback. One of the faculty that participated compared using the card to when they first learned how to do an HMP. Right now, I need to keep looking at my checklist at my cheat sheet. I need to keep looking at the card and practice. And eventually I will get to the point where, hey, I don't need it as much. And I thought that was a really great way to think about it. Yeah, I can imagine. It's not just awkward because the strategy is a little different than what you normally use, but it's awkward because if you're not familiar with it, 
That means you got to pull it out of your pocket. Oh. In front of three students, well, four residents. And... I will say one of the faculty members yeah. who utilized this in the research, what they referred to it as, in fact, they even had some of their students say, what is that? And their response was, have you ever watched football? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, you know that little cheat sheet that the quarterback wears on their wrist to remember what plays? He's like, this is my cheat sheet on my wrist. This is helping me to ask better questions of you all. It normalizes it. Yes. It demonstrates first you're committed to trying to do better, and you've got this literal cheat sheet that's about that same size probably as what's on that guy's wrist <laughs> to be able to refer to. And, and the more you do it, the easier this gets. Questioning is one of the principal ways that we teach. Unless we ask better questions, we can't assess our learners' knowledge base and their critical thinking skills and how they're developing. Because clearly, junior intern just shows up in July, uh, far different expectations from your standpoint than the fifth year resident. So it feels like it's almost time for dessert. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I think I'm ready. Let's go for it, yeah. So what's next for the card? We are hopefully working towards an app so that it can be easier, you know, on your phone kind yeah. of thing. I'm also looking at continuing my research and seeing how faculty interact with the card, and then hopefully being able to move towards some quantitative data by categorizing questions that faculty ask. We've collected some data from the workshops that the three of you have put on. Mm -hmm. We've had faculty create practice questions, practice prompts for learners, and we found that after this training, they are creating prompts at significantly higher levels on the Bloom scale. But what we really want to know is how faculty are applying it in the clinical setting or in the educational setting. You know, Stacy, we know from your dissertation about their perceptions mm -hmm. and about the experiences that we report, but I think it'll be important to see how faculty are actually interacting with learners in a clinical setting, and especially far out from the training. If someone wanted a copy, we still have now physical copies of cards. Absolutely. How would they get one? We still do workshops. We got one coming up pretty quick in one of the divisions in Department of Pediatrics. Come do the workshops. We'll give you a copy of the card. But one of the things I will say, I'm not just going to hand you the card. I would say that you would have to go through some training. And so we can do the training virtually, and we can also do the training face-to-face. -face. If you are not here at UofL, we have our initial outcomes published in Meta and Portal. So you can actually see a copy of the card itself and also see some of the workshop materials so that you can implement it at your program as well. We're working with Hofstra University to have the card added to their just-in-time teaching, the JITT app. Apparently, it's going through many medical schools now, even in Europe. It's an infographic-based version, but we're working with their developers there to put that in play. If you've downloaded that app or you're interested, that might be another way to get at this content. We do have the roadshow, I'll just say. Not that I'm saying we're antiques, but <laughs> um, if you're listening from a non-UofL space and you feel like doing a virtual workshop, we can do it, and we'd be happy to help teach you all about the card. All the resources and links to different things you'll be able to find in the notes. So we look forward to coming back and doing card training with you soon. Thanks, Russ, for joining us. I love the faculty field. I feel full. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be as together we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Join us next time for more, and come hungry.